This episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Podcorn. Christian, we know life as a podcaster isn't easy. Monetizing your small independent podcast can lead to nothing but heartbreak and frustration. We didn't even know the first place to start and how to approach these companies. But then we found Podcorn, a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. Damn it, with Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is here to support you at every step and ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do. And Christian, I love their mission statement. To give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when they monetize. Click the link in our show notes to sign up for Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities today. Podcorn, connecting unique voices to unique brands. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome, nerd. Are you ready to launch 116th Expedition into Nerdum? Preparing for launch. Queuing bitchin' rockabilly track. Priming engines. Now dusting off your cowboy hat collection. Unecrypting files for... Comics, TV, movies, wrestling, launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. That's the Amazing Dirt Show. All right, Christian. We're, we're both bunkered in right now. Uh, we are recording uh, remotely via Skype. So if our sound's a little different, uh, that's why. I actually listened to the last episode. We recorded the same way, and I actually thought we sounded better. So <laughs> maybe we need to be like, fuckers, do this all. Yeah, time. right. <laughs> maybe we need to do this more often. Uh, but yeah, if there's a little delay here and there with our answers, that's why we apologize. But it is what it is. But it's definitely scary out there. Uh, my hands are bleeding from washing them constantly. Um, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I've got dry skin, man. <laughs> And lotion really Amen. stinks. <laughs> so, but yeah, no. Uh, hopefully, everyone's staying in, staying safe, practicing social distancing, um, and you know we'll get through this, you know, together. So exactly one podcast at a time. You know, um, yeah, man. I mean, it. It, uh, it sounds like there's a group of people that we all love uh, trying to like maybe perhaps you know uh, pull things together, um, you know, for the industry that we love. Uh, there's been a call at arms to like Marvel and DC. A lot of the creators are trying to rally both companies to kind of do a crossover. Have you heard this? Um, to kind of like, you know, save the industry after the shutdown. Diamond like has stopped distributing comics, like new comics, I guess. So, I mean, and a lot of these comic book shops are had to like, you know, just completely shut down because they were doing like a curbside service. Um, I know like our local comic book shop was, they were like, you know, like telling people, Hey, you know, you can't come in the store, but we'll hand you your books, you know, if you want, or we can even deliver them to you. So, I mean, desperate times come, you know, calls for desperate, you know, measures. Um, but now diamonds, like we can't even get these books to you, which is understandable. They had to shut down their warehouses. So, uh, but yeah, a lot of creators, I think Gail Simone was the one who kind of like, you know, threw it out there first. We're saying that, Hey, you know what? 
Marvel DC, it's time to kind of get your shit together. Let's do a giant crossover event and, you know, help the industry out. And I know in the past when they've done these events, they've been pretty fucking huge. So, I mean, you know, I mean, how would you feel about something like that? I mean, I think it'd be interesting uh, to see what writers today like Tom King and Scott Snyder would do with uh, more Marvel characters and see what, you know, Marvel writers would do with DC characters. It'd be it'd be fun to see what happens. But, you know, I, I'm not optimistic about um, Warner Brothers and, DC and and Marvel working together. Not Marvel, but Disney. Yeah, but we've heard recently that, you know, Warner Brothers has kind of like fallen out of love with the whole idea of even like doing comic books you know that they're not really interested in the medium anymore um it's just kind of like losing money for them hand over fist which is you know disappointing but it is what it is there was even a rumor like i guess started by one of the creators and i can't remember who um saying that you know that they were willing to even possibly like lease out their characters and this is just a rumor you know um they were saying that marvel was a possible you know uh suitor uh, I can't imagine that. And like I said, it was just a rumor. So take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if it's going to make them money, I could see Warner Brothers willing to do it. Um, and I definitely feel like Disney's like, hey, whatever. You know, it's good PR for us. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, the, the comic book, you know, store, you know, that the, the that whole, you know, side of, you know, distribution, the that industry, they need them. So, like, if it helps them out, why not? You know, they are their, like, lifeblood to get, like, this medium across to people. Um, I don't know, like, what digital numbers are for them. So, I mean, I don't know, like, if that's really, like, taken over the industry. But I know quite a few people who still go to the comic book store every Wednesday, you know, to get their books. So, and maybe this will kind of, like, reshape what the industry is. You know, maybe they have to, like, think of different formats now. Um, but I would love to, you know, see a crossover, you know, and, you know, for like a good reason, it's not just like a cash grab for them. I mean, I'm sure that'll be part of it, but you know, if it's actually going to help these smaller stores, you know, and stop them from closing, why not? You know, is there any like characters that you would love to see like crossover any stories you'd like to see told? Well, like, I would love to see more, you know, Batman, Spider-Man go at it again. Um, I'd love to see um, the younger teams, like maybe a lot of the young rogues gallery, not rogues gallery, but young Batman characters working with like, uh, what's it called? Uh, the champions and stuff like that. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Or like a, a, a Titans, like, you know, champions crossover. Exactly. Something like that. I could definitely go for that. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the possibilities are endless. So I mean, why not? You know, and if it's going to help everyone out, fuck it, man, let's do it. You know? So hopefully it becomes a real a reality, but we'll see. We will see. Well, we have plenty of other news for them to get into, so let's get into it. But before that... If you're liking what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you enjoy most. We're on everything. And while you're at it, help further support the show by giving us a five-star review. Yes, let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors and nerd them. We are not mild-mannered reporters. We are mere podcasters with opinions. All right, well, starting off news, we got some news about Marvel and DC together pretty much getting having to push back their films for Wonder Woman and Black Widow. Yeah, this is really, like, no surprise. So since, like, pretty much the whole movie industry is on hold until, you know, uh, maybe the fall. Um, but, yeah, uh, 
Wonder Woman got pushed back to August 14th, and there is a rumor that Black Widow might get pushed back to September. But they've both been, you know, delayed. You hate to see it. It is what it is, you know, at this point. But happier news, we have the Mandalorian casting news. Tons of it came out this last week. Yes, huge news. Uh, The Mandalorian Season 2 has cast Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano. This is fucking awesome news. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't try to keep it more under wraps. I'm surprised they, like, let it out. But at the same time, fucking amazing to see that she's going to be live action. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it was something that, you know, fans have been kind of casting, like, fan casting for years. So, and she's actually expressed interest in playing the character. Um, So I was super excited when this news broke. Uh, But there was actually a group of fans who were disappointed, which I was surprised with. Um, I guess a lot of people were hoping that Ashley Eckstein, um, who, you know, does the voice acting for Ahsoka on Clone Wars, would get the role. Um... It is what it is, people. Just be happy <laughs> that we're getting a live action Ahsoka. <laughs> Honestly, I get it, but at the same time, I don't know her like acting like bio. I mean, I know she's a voice actress, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, she has the chops to, you know, portray her, you know, live action. So I don't know. And Rosario is an awesome actress. So I feel like we're gonna get a badass version of the character. Exactly. I, I I think they went with the right choice either way. And how awesome is that she's going to actually be in this story? So uh, I I can't wait to see what Favreau like, does you know, with this character and what this means for the series. I can't just wait to see the uh, Darksaber in action. See how, what, like, if, she, if they're going to get into a battle with Ahsoka with that. And I don't really understand how anyone could win in that fight. But anyway, either way, um, it'll be fucking awesome to see the Darksaber in live action in a fucking lightsaber battle. Yeah, no. And you honestly, too, with, uh, you know, with Ahsoka, you know, being part of the series, it makes me feel like Sabine's not far behind. Absolutely. Which they have some questions to answer there. <laughs> and other casting news for The Mandalorian, the Kyle Reese, Michael Bean, is joining for season two as well. Yeah, I mean, that that's awesome news. Fantastic character actor. I love him best as Johnny Ringo. So, uh, good news. I mean, we have, we have no details whatsoever on what role he's playing. Um, but, mm-hmm. hey, more the merrier, right? Yeah, and we also found out, too, that Bill Burr is reportedly returning, too. So that only makes sense. I'm sure that whole, <laughs> like, you know gang will show up you know at some point you know looking for you know revenge no yeah it was definitely one of, i felt like one of the better episodes of that season in general yeah no i love the whole series and that was i mean that was definitely one of my favorite episodes i agree yeah so that's gonna do it for news i mean it's definitely we're gonna have a lot of slower news weeks now um with everything going on unfortunately um but we're gonna make do uh i know christian has a review for us and uh we've got a huge countdown that we're gonna be doing and we'll probably be doing a lot of countdowns and a <laughs> lot of retro reviews you know the next you know couple months until you know things hopefully get back to normal so it is what it is yeah if there's something that you're interested in hearing us review or checking out you know send us a message let us know yeah or even like a countdown idea um you know we've definitely been brainstorming but you know we'd love to hear your ideas so i mean we plan on coming to you every week no matter what um you know we've got everything set up where we can do so 
So, um, you know, let, let us know. I mean, you know, help shape the show. Why not? Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, part of my quarantine has been, you know, binging through shows. And one of those shows I've watched is Hunters. We're in the camps together. She lives through all that just to be shot in the living room by Virgo. It sounded like she knew him. It sounded... Personal. Yeah. I suppose every mother is personal. You know what the best revenge is? Revenge. Your grandmother wished to protect you. From what? Nazis, Jonas. Goddamn Nazis. In 1977, in New York City, a troubled young Jewish man bent on revenge is taken in by a secret group of Nazi hunters fighting a clandestine war against a cabal of high-ranking Nazi officials in hiding who work to create the Fourth Reich. And this is created by David Wells. All right. Um, this was an interesting show. Uh, you know, It's got a huge theme about you know, what it means to be a hero and everything. Because a lot of, you know, a lot of this show is about vengeance. Uh, and you're, you're going to hear us talk a lot about vengeance later on. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, is it, are, are they getting, are they heroes for killing these Nazis? Are they uh, just cold-blooded murderers? You know, it's this constant, like, theme going on throughout the show. What's the right thing Fuck to do? Fuck that. Put Kill the Nazis. <laughs> There's a lot of moral um, high ground aspects to the show. And we follow this character, jo um, Jonah Heidelbaum, played by Logan Learman. Um, you might know him from Percy Jackson fame or uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Nope. Not, not, not ringing a bell, <laughs> Christian. <laughs> well, that's all right. Um, this is definitely a grown-up role for him. Um, you know, he's dealing with a lot of trauma. Um, the show starts off... Yeah, I'm going I'm to do light spoilers. Uh I probably won't. T I'm not going to give you guys any big things from that happened near the end. But uh, we start off with uh, Logan losing. I mean Jonah losing his um, grandmother, and then we find out the secrets that her his grandmother has been keeping, which that she is a Nazi hunter. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we just kind of go on this adventure from there. Um, the The show is very fun, but it, it I feel like at times it has a bit of a tone issue where you know some moments uh, every time you get like a very comedic and fun moment throughout the show you know you're getting like 30 minutes of you know very sad and horrifying storytelling it kind of bounces back and forth and like it could be almost off-putting at times where it's like one episode starts off with like a whole comedy skit and then the rest of the episode is you know um you know scenes from Auschwitz the entire time oh wow um, so it has like so it's, a it's, tone problem uh I, I would say sometimes okay. but overall you know i i got through the show you know, and loving it until the very end. Um, I think the the show you know, really handles um, the growth of Jonah um, very well. You know, him deciding what the right thing to do, and you know, you're watching, you know, these murders kind of changing him from the boy he was into the man he's going to become. And you know, um, you you throughout the show, you constantly are seeing um, the lives of his grandmother and grandfather that were in Auschwitz um, the entire time, um, and like what they dealt with. And you see a lot of other stories, and it's it's very well done. Um, the the cast and crew that you see in the uh, posters and trailers and stuff are very fun to watch as well. Yeah, I mean, um, how's El Pacino? Hello, um, <laughs> El Pacino is very awesome in this show. Um, you know, there's there's a lot to his character that, that I don't want to get into, but okay, <laughs> um, you know, he's very. He's he's pretty much like the leader of the group. Um, he's he's kind of like that billionaire that like funds them. All right, uh, type of character. 
Um, Al Pacino does a great job um, throughout the entire thing. Um, you really feel his passion for you know trying to avenge six million people, as he says, or eleven million. Sometimes he 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 jumps back and forth on the number of uh, victims that he's trying to say, um, help out. Okay, <laughs> I've noticed a lot, but uh, is yeah. Um, now is this like Pacino like post heat? Is he like you know chewing scenery? um you know and just screaming a lot i mean i love that i love all versions of pacino <laughs> but is is that um, this version of pacino uh he he is yelling quite uh-huh. a bit <laughs> but i i don't say like he doesn't um he, he doesn't overtake the show okay i would say that okay um he he's definitely more you know he's just kind of the the wiser older figure for jonah throughout the entire hey show. man i mean give me more pacino i'm fine with that I, i'm fine with any version <laughs> of pacino i can get so I'm on board. Uh, you, you really do believe a lot of the relationships that they have, like Jonah and um, uh, Al Pacino's character Meyer Offerman. You know, they have such a really great relationship, and um, you know, all the way up to the end, you really you know believe in what they're doing uh, and why they're fighting, the reasons that they are. Uh, they leave a lot of mystery open for a second season. Like a lot of this feels like you know they're they're hoping that there is a second season to happen okay uh, there's been a lot of middling reviews um out there I, there's been a, kind of like some backlash from the jewish community saying that the show doesn't take um you know the the war crimes of the nazis serious enough oh really but you know i mean um, are we talking like hogan's heroes or something like i mean like is it no, too like nowhere near hogan's heroes <laughs> <laughs> it's not like too cartoony or anything no i i mean like it feels for some reason like and, you know, the show does deal with a lot of comic book um, elements. Okay. Like, uh, they bring up, and I mean that in a way where they bring up, um, they compare themselves to stuff that happens in comics a lot. But um, it almost feels like something I would picture, like um, a comic book writer putting out. Like Mark Miller. You know, if, it feels like a Mark yeah, Miller exactly. book. exactly. Just yeah. seeing, like, the trailer and everything like that, it totally feels like it's in that kind of, like, you know, tone. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, just super heightened uh, realism is what I would say. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, the I mean, the genre is definitely you know influencing you know other things at this point, you know, other mediums. So I'm not surprised you know by that. Yeah, it it definitely delves into that realm where it felt like this would be a perfect like graphic novel. Um, you know, I it, it reminded me a lot of like Watchmen, but it wasn't like to the grade that Watchmen was. Okay, I'll say that. Got it. Got it. <laughs> so, uh, if you were going to grade this show, um, what would you give it? Uh, I'm going to give it a B minus, just because um, the ending. You know, you get a lot of build up to this final moment, and it, the final moment just kind of pulls the rug underneath you. You know, you really it falls flat. The big twist for the ending of the show. All right, all right. So it doesn't really stick the landing then. No, but I'm hoping that a second season can fix all of that. All right, well, I'm definitely going to have to check it out. And, I mean, why not? I, I have nothing but time on my side right now, so. Exactly. <laughs> all right. All right, well, before we move on, this is a word from our sponsor. This just in, the easiest way to monetize your podcast is here. Let us tell you about Podcorn. Nothing is more frustrating than working on a podcast you're passionate about and not knowing how to monetize it. Even in-app solutions from your hosts lead to aggravation and only pennies on the dollar. But thanks to Popcorn, the advertisers are brought to you. 
No longer do you have to spend hours DMing and emailing companies. Podcorn gives you the floor to pitch your show directly to the right advertisers that reflect your audience. And my favorite part of Podcorn is the fact that you're protected. Not only do they support you during the process, they make sure you get paid. And they're super user-friendly. Well, I like that the Marketplace mission is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when they monetize. That's why podcasters should click the link in our show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities today. Podcorn, connecting unique voices to unique brands. All right, let's move on. Yes, to our countdown. All right, Christian, so the time has arrived for our top 10 cinematic heroes of all time countdown. Um, And this is, you know, obviously the end all be all of all countdowns. You know, they're going to, you know, (laughs) (laughs) what we say goes. Um, And I mean, really, probably this countdown should be, you know, actually called, you know, just our favorites, you know, today. (laughs) Our favorite heroes today, because I really had a hard time with this list. I don't know about you. So I went back to Should we do this again in a year and like compare? Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe like next week. (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, this was definitely a difficult list to like come up with. And like up to like right before we started recording, I was switching, you know, people around. So, and I still might be doing some editing in my head as we're speaking right now. But all right. So how this is going to work, uh, you know, me and Christian both have two separate lists, so I will start off the countdown, and we'll work our way from 10 to 1. Yep, I'll go second, so that mine, you know, my number one is the most important. <laughs> the last one heard. Well, that's debatable. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start the countdown. Now accessing files for the most cinematic heroes ever. Begin countdown sequence. Number 10. All right, so to start things off, my number 10 pick is none other than Ash, uh, portrayed by Bruce Campbell from the Evil Dead series. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. The 12-gauge double-barreled Remington, S-Mart's top of the line. Uh, So, like, Ash is just an incredibly, like, relatable character. Um... He's an average guy who always rises to the occasion when he's put into these, like, impossible fucking situations. Uh, he's pretty much, like, every horror nerd's, like, picture of themselves, you know, in these, like, insane scenarios. Uh, you know, just, like, you know, having to cut off your, you know, possessed girlfriend's head, you know, check. You know, Ash can handle it. Uh, having to cut off your own possessed hand, check. Ash can handle it. Um, you know, facing off, you know, against a whole army of demons, check. You know, Ash can handle it. And then, like, hey, saying ridiculous, funny one-liners all while doing everything? Check. Ash does it. You know, so, like, he's just the ultimate horror hero. For my number 10, I have Indiana Jones portrayed by Harrison Ford. The man, the myth, the legend himself. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Asps. Very dangerous. Go first. 
Indiana Jones is one of those perfect ideal characters for any type of adventure. You know, if you want to go on an adventure, Indiana Jones is your man. You know, you have him solving all the mysteries while also being the perfect archaeologist in every scene. No film makes you want to be an archaeologist more than Indiana Jones. <laughs> this is true. Um, super fun character. Um, except for, you know, the last few movies... We'll, we'll ignore that happening. <laughs> oh, you mean Crystal, crystal Skull? Yes. <laughs> I don't blame you. Uh, but beyond that, you know, whenever I thought, like, what's what's my, like, hero? Who would be the person I would pick uh, to go on an adventure with? It would always be Indiana Jones at the end of the day. Number nine. All right, so for my number nine pick, I chose Father Damien Karras, portrayed by Jason Miller, from The Exorcist. Well then, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Damien Karras. And I'm the devil. Now kindly undo these straps. If you're the devil, why not make the straps disappear? That's much too vulgar display of power, Karras. So Father Damien, you know, I mean, he's a priest and psychologist who, like, comes into this complete, like, crossroads when it comes to his faith, and he doesn't know, you know, what he really believes in anymore. Um, you know, and then he's dealing at the same time with this, like, just this complete guilt of losing his mother that's just, like, weighing on him so heavily. And then he, like, of course, comes face to face with, like, pure fucking evil. Um, and not only does he learn to believe again, um, he chooses to make the ultimate sacrifice. Um, it's such an underrated performance by Jason Miller. And, I mean, I think he kind of gets, like, lost you know, in the shuffle with, you know, how many great, you know, performances are in that movie and just, you know, the movie no, in general. Um, but like Jason Miller, he does carry, you know, a huge weight of that movie, you know, on his shoulders. So, um, but yeah, it's just such a great performance and, you know, he deserves all the praise in the world and it's such a great, you know, defined hero's arc in this story. And you'll see like throughout my countdown, you know, for me, it's all about, you know, the hero's journey. And, you know, I don't think there's, you know, a better journey in a horror movie or any movie than, you know, for a hero than like Father Damien's. For my number nine, I have the man with no name portrayed by Clint Eastwood. The neck at the end of the rope is mine. I run the risks. So the next time I want more than half. <laughs> you may run the risks, my friend, but I do the cutting. We cut down my percentage. Uh, cigar? Lively interfere with my aim. Uh, Sergio Leone, as I, I think is how you say his name, um, created this trilogy of cowboy films featuring the, probably the perfect character, the man with no name, uh, played by Clint Eastwood, of course. Uh, he... He is your ideal person that you would want to be in a uh, spaghetti western in general. Like, um, right now I'm watching uh, Westworld. I'm finally starting to catch up on that since we have so much time. And I was thinking, like, what kind of character would I want to be in this world? And it's like, who wouldn't want to be the badass known as Clint Eastwood <laughs> in, a, in a spaghetti western? Um, everything that he was able to accomplish. Like, my, one of my favorite movies of all time is um, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Uh, just what he accomplishes in that film as as even like the stoic quiet character half the time is it's just so badass he's he's probably one of the like I, I would love to see what um clint eastwood would have done in like a star wars film as a bounty hunter character i would love to see that be transformed over well i mean they, they definitely i mean boba fett is very much modeled after like you know spaghetti western type character 
just like exactly. stylistically. So, I mean, I, I, yeah, Clint Eastwood would be awesome as one of those characters, especially like, <laughs> you know, a young Clint Eastwood in like the Mandalorian or something. Fuck yeah. Exactly. <laughs> number eight. All right. My number eight pick is The Bride from uh, Kill Bill, volume one and two, uh, portrayed by Uma Thurman. But it wasn't from lack of trying, I can tell you that. Actually, Bill's last bullet put me in a coma. A coma I was to lie in for four years. When I woke up, I went on what the movie advertisements refer to as a roaring rampage of revenge. I roared, and I rampaged, and I got bloody satisfaction. I've killed a hell of a lot of people to get to this point. But I have only one more. The last one. The one I'm driving to right now. The only one left. And when I arrive at my destination, I am going to kill Bill. So a total eyeball-snatching badass whose thirst to exact vengeance is unfucking parallel Armed with Hansel still, her targets don't have a chance. Um, you know, from, like, the brutal one-on-one -on -one battles to, like, all the beautifully choreographed dance floor fucking slaughters, uh, Uma Thurman's performance gives us all that Tarantino style, but, like, that fun, like, grindhouse, samurai Sunday, you know, movie goodness. So, I mean... Uma Thurman for me, you know, as the bride is fucking top notch. Yeah, the bride was definitely one of those characters where she she could have been much higher on my list. So and I'm still I'm actually kind of now regretting putting her <laughs> this low on the list. So but whatever. It, it's done. It's done, Christian. All right. For my number eight, I have V from V for Vendetta as portrayed by Hugo Weaving. Voila. In view, a humble vaudevillian veteran, cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate. This visage, no mere veneer of vanity, is a vestige of the Vox Populi, now vacant, vanished. However, this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has vowed to vanquish these venal and virulent vermin vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violently vicious and voracious violation of volition. <laughs> Verdict is vengeance. B is one of Alan Moore's great heroes um, that was finally brought to the big screen. Uh, his story um, in general was very great to read uh, when I was younger and everything. And finally getting to see that on the big screen, I thought it was one of those perfect action films. Um, Hugo Weaving does such a great job of, you know, animating this character who's very, like, uh, huge vocabulary, huge uh, personality behind this very simple mask. Um, and Hugo Weaving does such an amazing job of bringing that character to light. Um, you really um, are able to get behind this character and his message and what he's going for, even as insane and absurd as it is. Um, it's very, it's very timely for what it was as well. And I really appreciate the work that they put into it. Now this is, you know, back and forth. You know, a lot of people say the book is better, the movie is better, uh, but I, I have an equal love for both. Um, 
but again, V is such a fun and extremely violent character, and he's definitely one of those uh, figures for vengeance in general. Um, I think you'll see that in both of our lists. We're very much into <laughs> the vengeful spirits. <laughs> a lot of anti-heroes on our lists. Exactly. A lot of anti-heroes. You know, uh, truth be told, I never saw this movie. Um, I definitely think if, if you like, like, like you said, you like John Wick and stuff like that. It's it's that kind of hard hitting action throughout it, uh, uh, but just with a little bit more story. <laughs> I mean, I love a good vengeance movie. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, honestly, I had some like really obnoxious people in my life love this movie and talk about it mm. nonstop, and I think it actually turned me off. So, <laughs> which is really petty and stupid. Um, so mm. maybe I'll actually go ahead and you know. Give it, a, give it a gander, if you will. No, exactly. I mean, the internet has definitely blown uh, V and uh, Guy Fox out of proportion. But uh, I'm not going to say more before I get attacked. So, <laughs> <laughs> Number seven. All right, so my number seven pick is Doc Holliday, portrayed by Bell Kilmer from Tombstone. And you, music lover. You're next. <laughs> drunk piano player. You're so drunk you can't hit nothing. In fact, you're probably seeing double. I have two guns. One for each of you. Okay, so once again, we're back to our theme of anti-hero. Doc Holliday is the definition of an anti-hero. Um, his swagger is always on fucking 10. His skills as a gunfighter is only fucking matched by his loyalty to his friends. And that's really the only reason he's even involved in, like, the fight, you know, for the entire movie. It's just because, you know, you know, Wyatt is in trouble, and he, he stands by his friends no matter what. Um, I feel like Tombstone doesn't get enough love, which is weird. Like, slowly it's becoming more of, like, a cult classic. Um, but it's one of my favorite westerns of all time. And there's not a cooler, more quotable character, you know, on my list, honestly. Yeah, uh, Tombstone's actually a movie I think I haven't seen. Oh, dude, you've got to watch Tombstone. It, <laughs> it really, I mean, it's very, it's like an MTV style Western. You know, it's very much in the vein of like Young Guns and everything. It's more fast paced and everything. But I mean, it's, it has so many great, like memorable, like performances in it so many fun characters um, and it is ridiculously quotable I and mean, it's not just you know Val Kilmer and this is by far my favorite like Val Kilmer performance I'll I'll be honest with you I saw this movie when I was like 14 years old I might have <laughs> bought a cowboy hat after I saw this movie <laughs> and I might have worn it to school a couple times oh wow <laughs> you were that kid huh oh oh I was only for this movie though so <laughs> I love this movie, so and I still do. You know, I watch it at least a couple times a year. Um, especially, it's I feel like it's always on TBS, like every other mm. month. So anytime I come across it, like that's it for the next like hour or so. But yeah, no, if you haven't seen Tombstone, absolutely, you know, take some time and watch it. Especially since we have nothing else to do right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is binging time. Well, um, speaking of that in general, uh, my number seven was James Bond. Uh, and for my portrayal, I picked Sean Connery out of all of them. <laughs> all right. The successful criminal brain is always superior. It has to be. Why become criminal? I'm sure the West would welcome a scientist of your caliber. 
The Americans are fools. I offered my services, they refused. So did the East. Now they can both pay for their mistake. World domination. Same old dream. Uh, James Bond was one of those characters that uh, we would put on every single like Thanksgiving. There was always a fucking marathon. So that's kind of like one of my earliest like childhood like uh, what's it called uh, traditions. Oh, uh, traditions. <laughs> uh, so just like watching all Turkey the Bond and James Bond. Yes, exactly. <laughs> nice. Um, you know, James Bond's one of those characters that are like so iconic with being a super spy. You wonder how they get away with being a super spy since everyone knows their fucking name. Yeah, like literally. Yeah. Um, you know, he's this kind of character who's you know diabolical yet cunning yet calm. Uh, he kind of like presumes all those like qualities that you expect out of like what's a man's man in a in a world full of super villains type of thing. You know, um, Sean Connery's char- um, you know character version of James Bond kind of set the mold for all James Bonds to come. That's why I kind of like pick on him the most. Um, he. You know, he, it's it's very you know it's that typical I'm going to destroy the world Bond type villains, but I mean it's super fun every moment. Um, you know, it's what you would expect from a super spy movie in general. Um, yeah. And I definitely say if I mean you've got time, binge through everything. Why not? You know, there's plenty of movies. Um, maybe skip a couple, but beyond that, <laughs> what's your favorite uh, Connery Bond movie? Um, from Russia with Love, so the second one. Oh, okay. All right. All right. No, I, I'm not a huge James Bond guy. I do respect Connery, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anyone who's like a close second for you with James Bond? Um, a close second would be Roger Moore. He had like the second best run, I would say, um, out of all the Bonds. Um, Daniel Craig definitely a close third. Uh, okay. But, you know, Roger Moore's had, had definitely the most fun as Bond. Also was probably Bond too long. He got a little old by the end of those films. <laughs> yeah he it did it kind of looked like a like a 50 year old man running around but <laughs> yeah so like bond once again i think i probably asked this question on another podcast mm-hmm. but with the continuity of bond is he supposed to be the same character like throughout all these films like the same person or is it like just kind of a moniker that gets passed along like a, you know like passing the torch you know, damn. I'm going to use my my favorite term, which is a soft reboot every time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because like the the only one I would say that truly restarted was Daniel Craig. Because everything okay. else kind of like there's little hints I would say to previous films and such. Hmm. Okay. Or like they'll they'll be like, oh, you know, this is just Bond on another adventure. Like Pierce Brosnan's Bond kind of starts like I feel like maybe a quarter through his career type of feeling. You know. Okay. Gotcha. So it's all kind of like soft reboots. And it probably depends on, you know, the writer and, you know, the director at the time, like what direction they want to go. Yeah, exactly. Number six. All right. So my number six pick is Ripley from the Alien franchise, portrayed by Sigourney Weaver. Hey, man, I don't want to rain on your parade. We're not going to last 17 hours. Those things are going to come in here just like they did before. And they're going to come in here and they're going to come in here and they're going to get us. This little girl survived longer than that with no weapons and no training, right? <laughs> Why don't you put her in charge? You better just start dealing with it, Hudson. Listen to me. Hudson, just deal with it because we need you and I'm sick of your bullshit. Okay. All right, so Sigourney Weaver's performance as Ripley is like nothing short 
but groundbreaking, especially for the time. Um, she truly breaks the mold for what's like typical of you know females in horror movies or any movies for that matter. Um, just it, you know, as an action hero, um, she's not a victim. Uh, she she's not there to scream and cower every like bump and scare. Uh, she's determined, and she's actually like in both you know first, especially the first two movies. She's literally the most level-headed person. You know, during those movies, if you look at it, um, yeah, she's always doing what's right for any one of those like given situations. Um, she's the definition of a true survivor. Like I would never consider her a victim at all. Um, mm. She's she's always the smartest character in the room, which at the time that wasn't always the case with like female characters. So just a true like fucking badass character. Um, she really has to be like given credit for breaking through that glass ceiling. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just you know, setting that like you know new template for you know the modern day you know female hero. Um, you know, because yeah, definitely at the time, you know, it was something that we didn't have enough of, unfortunately. Yeah, man, uh, Weaver really fucking kills it throughout the entire franchise. Yeah, I mean, she carries the fucking franchise. If you think there's points where you actually start feeling bad for the aliens. You know, like I, and think about it, in the aliens when she's like, you know, the the queen is is like reacting to, you know, her fucking killing, you know, her children, you know, Sigourney killing, you know, her children. Like, there's definitely like a moment where you're like, wait a second, <laughs> this is just a moment. Maybe that's just me. I'm being sympathetic to the villains of the the movie, but you yeah, know. maybe you're just a fucking monster. That'd be- yeah. <laughs> But she's so relentless while she's facing off oh, yeah. against those aliens. I mean, just a great fucking performance on her part. All right, well, for my number six, and this is where things start to get a little hard for me, was uh, it's number six is Iron Man, portrayed by Robert Downey Jr., of course. You've managed to piss off every single one of them. That was the plan. Not a great plan. When they come, and they will, they'll come for you. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Oh, I thought the beast had wandered off. You're missing the point. There's no throne. There is no version of this where you come out on top. Maybe your army comes, and maybe it's too much for us, but it's all on you. Because if we can't protect the Earth, you can be damn well sure we'll avenge it. Uh, Iron Man really started off the Avengers line, and he pretty much finished it uh, by the time we got to Endgame and everything. Uh, Man, I mean, Infinity War, not Endgame. But, man... RDJ really killed it and really redefined who Iron Man was. Because I, I didn't give a shit about Iron Man before the Marvel movies started coming out. I, a I lot didn't of people care. did. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly. I remember when they announced those movies, a lot of people were like, why are you going with Iron Man? There's so many other characters. <laughs> Honestly, that was a lot mm-hmm. of like people's reaction at the time. So you're, you're not alone. No, um, and he just brought rock and roll into the fucking Marvel Cinematic Universe. He really um, showed us what you know these films could be like. Uh, RDJ and John Favreau's team up in these films um, really sparked a revolution, and I, you know, you really believe um, Robert Downey Jr. as this character, and you, you know, you're not watching you know an actor play a character. You're watching fucking Iron Man on screen every time you know you see him. You know, this is. Uh, really just a well-defined character at this point and you know it's probably not the end but it's also sad to see you know where he ended up yeah no absolutely i won't say too much about your pick because he's probably on my list too um Uh spoilers (laughs) but um i will say with like robert downey jr's performance you know i've 
before you know the movie came out, I've been reading Iron Man for you know twenty years, um, and you know after those movies, I can't read Iron Man without hearing Robert Downey Jr.'s voice in my head. No, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean that says a lot, you know, for a character that you were familiar with for you know decades. Um, but mm. yeah, he completely owns that character. All right, now bring on Ironheart. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna happen. It'll happen oh, yeah, sooner absolutely. than later. Absolutely. Number five. Well, it's funny that you brought up uh, Iron Man. Um, my number five pick is Captain Fucking America, portrayed by Chris Evans um, from literally the all the MCU movies. <laughs> <laughs> I can do this all day. Yeah, I know. I know. So Steve Rogers is the absolute personification of what a hero should be. Sure, he's got superpowers, but like his true power is really his grit and his sheer will. Um, He always stands up for what he thinks is right, no matter what. And I'll argue that his betrayal, like, you know, Chris Evans' betrayal as the character Mm -hmm. is probably the most accurate um, to his comic book like counterpart than like any other character in the MCU at least and superhero in general like the only other portrayal by an actor like I would like maybe Christopher Reeves is like Superman um I feel like is like the truest you know portrayal from the you know, page to screen um but yeah he like bar none like he's the man that you want like leading you into battle so like there's no doubt like you know Steve had to be on my list. I mean, you know me, Damon. I'm not a big fan of Boy Scout characters in general. But um, the way that they handled Captain America in general just made me care, made me really enjoy him. Every time he's on screen, I'm like, I'm, I'm hyped up, you know. I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, it's Captain fucking America. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he, he doesn't give a better, I mean, there's not a character that gives a better, like, rallying speech than, you know, Cap, so... Um, exactly. You know, I and I wasn't a huge fan of the character either. You know, he, he had almost like a Superman like quality where, you know, I did consider him very much like, you know, your standard like Boy Scout, goody two shoes type, you know, hero. And that's a lot mm-hmm. of times in the 80s. That's kind of how he was portrayed. But like with what like Brubaker did um, with his run, um, I fell in love with the character and I was so happy like that Kevin Foggy and the Russos like told you know decided to really like tell those stories um so i mean brubaker he, he doesn't get enough fucking credit you want to talk about like an unsung hero i mean what he did in that book really you know set the bar you know for what we got in the mcu all right well for my number five and it's kind of a double portrayal because i'm still trying to figure out which one i like more but it's number five is spider-man either portrayed by toby mcguire or tom holland everybody loves a hero People line up for them, cheer them, scream their names, and years later they'll tell how they stood in the rain for hours just to get a glimpse of the one who taught him to hold on a second longer. I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, makes us noble, and finally allows us to die with pride even though sometimes we have to be steady and and give up the thing we want the most. Even our dreams. 
Spider-Man did that for Henry, and he wonders where he's gone. He needs him. Um, Spider-Man for me was that that big first for uh, for me personally was my like big first uh, superhero on like the big screen, and I really like I. Spider-Man 2, to this day, is still probably one of my favorite films of all time. And that's why I still hold Tobey Maguire to such high esteem. No, I don't blame him. Spider-Man. But I, I understand the third movie with all the crying and the, the poor portrayal <laughs> of Venom. And <laughs> Emo really version dog, of Peter Parker. Dog, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm probably going to have to put in that dancing music again. But uh, um, what they're doing nowadays, again, with uh, Tom Holland and everything he's been doing, I, I'm assuming he is going to become my new standard for Spider-Man in general. But, you know, I grew up with Tobey Maguire. I grew up with, um, you know, that version of Spider-Man. So it's probably always going to have a little bit of, like, that, that charm to me. Um, Tobey Maguire does, you know, does a pretty good portrayal of Spider-Man in those first two films. Uh, while, you know, I, I feel like, you know, he doesn't get, get enough credit sometimes. But uh, what they are doing with Tom Holland is way better. So I, I'm not going to complain. I, I do enjoy the MCU version. Um and I do hope to see you know a lot more going forward. I hope we never ever get that kind of news again where you know it's it's all becoming Sony only. You oh know, my I, god, I, I, <laughs> that was that was a fucking nightmare. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it seems silly nowadays, like how upset mm-hmm. I was about things about that. But yeah, <laughs> with like recent news and everything. But yeah, no, I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated when mm. that came out. So and I was so ecstatic when you know they you know brokered a deal finally. So, um, but yeah, no, I, and I agree with everything you're saying, you know, so much of the comic book movie, like genre owes like a debt of gratitude to, you know, those movies. Um, cause they showed you really what you could do and like, you could take the source material seriously. Cause I mean, yeah, they had fun with it and yeah, you know, Sam Raimi's version of the character wasn't like necessarily the version of Spider-Man that I grew up with in the comic books. It was much more mm-hmm. set kind of in that like 60s type tone. Um, but man, it was just fantastic to have that character exist, you know, on film finally after years and years of like, you know, it being like pre-production hell. I mean, there was one point, like, James Cameron was attached to, like, you know, actually, you know, do a film with Spider-Man for years. And, I mean, luckily that never happened because I don't think the technology was ever where it needed to be. Um, But, yeah, no, I mean, they definitely do, you know, deserve a lot of credit for where we are now with the genre. But, I mean, um, Tom Holland, I mean, this is my Spider-Man, you know. So that's why I love, you know, his version of the character. And it was definitely... You know, on my list as like an honorable mention because I, he's one of my favorite comic book characters of all time. It's just the character's so new <laughs> that it was real. Like I, I had to make a cut somewhere. So, uh-huh. but I mean, <laughs> like it is. It, it's kind of like it's definitely up there. You know, with Chris Evans, you know, portrayal of Captain America is like you know the purest. You know, from page to like screen. Um, it's it's just a great betrayal for Tom from Tom Holland. And, you know, I've heard people compare it like that as well, where they say um, Raimi's version is very much like the '60s, while um, Tom Holland is more um, current and or '90s version of Spider-Man. Um, and I, I just I think there's a lot of credit to be put there. You know, Raimi's character was still relatable, but Tom Holland is on a whole nother fucking level. The way that they're writing it, 
the way that um, you know he's coming off on screen, you know his chemistry with MJ is so much better. You can tell, you know, Kirsten Dutz did not want to be doing that role. The chemistry that was just not there. Those two characters, and they which kept is forcing it weird because I think they were dating at the time. I could be wrong. Yeah, but... <laughs> I, they did date for a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I don't know. I don't. I, you know what's weird too about it is like it's almost flipped around. Like, you know, the story that Sam Raimi is telling actually is more of a younger Peter Parker, you know, story. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, this younger version that we have in the MCU feels more true to the Peter Parker. I grew up with, which was more in his like mid twenties. Um, so it is a little bizarre how that's kind of flipped, <laughs> but it definitely, it's like, how it works, just the tone, and everything like that. And maybe it's more akin to like the ultimate Spider-Man version if if I keep on going, I could talk about Spider Man the entire podcast. So we're gonna have to stop here. <laughs> All right. Well, David, what was your number four? Number four. All right. So my number four pick was actually your number ten pick, Indiana Jones, portrayed by Harrison Ford in you know the Indiana Jones movies. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. All right, so next to Captain America, no one punches a Nazi in the face like Indiana Jones. Uh, the absolute template for the modern-day action hero. Strong, but flawed. Um, he always gets in way over his head, but somehow in the long run, he figures it all out. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why, like, you know, really the character caught on so much you know um in the 80s and that like you know style of action hero you know because a lot of those situations there's this great like comedic tone to all the action sequences Mm -hmm. um you know and like there are so many copycat movies after the fact and everything and what's funny is like because lucas really based it on like early like movie like serials that you know took place and you know in the theaters so um but yeah no i mean harrison ford just you know personifies that character i mean really harrison ford plays the same character in every movie <laughs> but that's okay because he's fucking awesome because uh-huh. um, han solo was almost on my list but i was like i felt like it was overkill with han solo and indiana jones and, and just the fact that like to top it all off like he somehow like made a whip like a realistic weapon and like archaeology looked totally badass <laughs> i mean you have to give him fucking credit where credit's due exactly uh, for the same reasons, you know, I I had to choose between either Han Solo or <laughs> uh, Indiana Jones. And I just had to. Fe- I felt like Indiana Jones is more of a hero at the end of the day than Han Solo is. Yeah, yeah, I- I'll give that to you. No, I-, I agree to a certain extent. I think a lot of like Han Solo's heroism, like, has to do with his, you know, set of circumstances. You know, where I think it's more about like saving his friends and you know doing the right things. You know. To, you know to help his friends out yeah he might just be in it you know to get the girl in the long run yeah and i might just like hold it against him because you know his son went to the dark side and then he just decided to up and leave and go back to his smuggling ways um but it is what it is i guess <laughs> it's just a plot device for them i know i know <laughs> i know i still have problems with it but it's okay all right. Uh, well, my number four is from your list, actually. Uh, the Bride, as portrayed by Uma Thurman from Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2. Is that what I think it is? 
You didn't think it was going to be that easy, did you? You know, for a second there? Yeah, I kind of did. Silly rabbit. Tricks are for kids. No, a lot of what you said before with, you know, it being a bloody fucking good time and how Beatrix is probably the most, you know, vengeful spirit and badass woman that you can possibly get on screen um, is definitely the reason why I love her as a character. And I was always a big Tarantino fan in general. And what Tarantino did with this, you know, classic story of revenge and, you know, uh, Japanese, you know, action film style. Um, you know, I loved it so much that I actually have um, her sword. <laughs> oh, do you? Um, yeah. <laughs> like hanging out your wall or something? Um, I have like a little mount, but eventually we'll probably put it on the wall or something. Oh, that's awesome, man. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I love her character. Um, I love the arc that she goes through, and I kind of I'm still hoping out for a third film. You know, maybe getting the revenge from you know the daughter. Yes, <laughs> we'll see. please come on, Tarantino, give us that third film. Mm. Uh, he's he's hinted that he's gonna do it, but I mean you know he's got like a million projects ahead of that. So, I always you know, feel so. like with him, it's like. He just does that to get a little attention sometimes, unfortunately, because I feel like that pops up, you know, you know, on social media, like every like, you know, six months or so. So like there's always someone new, like writing an article about some interview where Tarantino kind of talks about it again, but not really. So I, I hope it happens. No, yeah, I, I just feel like it, it deserves a third film, kind of, you know, it, it's those first two were so fucking well done and you know for a long time you know i saw those films when i was much younger so i didn't appreciate the second film as much because it's a lot slower there's a little less um, fights in it and stuff like that yeah so I, I was definitely more of a fan of the first one for a long time but you know um i've grown up i've gotten into more of what he was going for um i love i love her story when she's like trapped in the coffin and we get to see you know all the training that she went through and everything you know the story the background more to it more than just the violence you know she she is an all-around character you know, there's there's more to her than just fucking hacking off a limb and there being blood all over a dance floor but still, yeah well and then uh, just like the back and forth between her and bill you know, yes. there's so much great dialogue there. It's such a fantastic scene. So I, 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 I totally get what you're saying, though. Like, yeah, de definitely that first film. I mean, action-wise, it's untouchable. But, yeah, that second film, that's really where, like, the heart of the story is. Absolutely. And I feel like if Bill had been in a little bit more, if we got to see some more violence out of Bill, he'd probably be on my villain list as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Spoilers. There's going to be a villain list, people. <laughs> Alright, well, let's move on. Number three. Alright, so this is where it gets down to the nitty-gritty. And it got really difficult for me. And I'm, like, right now literally debating my number three pick. Um, especially after, you know, talking about fucking Han Solo. Um, my number three pick is Princess, no, fuck that, General Leia. Portrayed by Carrie Fisher, of course, in, you know, Star Wars. Governor Talk. I should have expected to find you holding Vader's leash. I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. Charming to the last. You don't know how hard I found it signing the order to terminate your life. I'm surprised you had the courage to take the responsibility yourself. All right, so Leia is the absolute heart of the Star Wars franchise. Um, even though, you know, she's a princess, you know, she's never been a damsel in distress. Yeah, she might need help, but that was pretty much it. 
Um, she's most comfortable with a fucking blaster in her hand, shouting out orders. And we realize that once, like, Luke rescues her. Um, you know, she's grabbing that fucking blaster and she's mowing down stormtroopers. Uh, she's the driving force for both, like, the Rebels and the Resistance, you know, across both trilogies. Um, mm -hmm. Hell, when you fucking think about it, like, her son joins the dark side you know she doesn't fucking go into hiding like luke does <laughs> she she doesn't fucking run off and go back to her you know scoundrel ways like fucking han does you know she sits there and she fucking leads the charge against him i mean how badass is that i mean it's, it's her fucking son but she doesn't care you know she's standing up for what's <laughs> fucking right <laughs> um at the end of the saga really if you think about it general leia she's really like the low key like the real hero yeah, absolutely the like even lando fucking disappears you know during this like huge moment like where where is he where is he at during the resistance yeah i mean he was a huge like here and obviously he was still working with them at some point because he talks about missions that he was on with luke so hmm. but yeah no they all kind of go on the wayside and it's really like leia you know standing there holding the torch you know um yeah fuck that now see now i totally want to flip around my picks <laughs> But we're gonna we're gonna hold still. She's my number three. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna flip. Go ahead, Christian. It's your turn. All right. Well, my number three is her brother, Luke Skywalker, as portrayed by Mark Hamill in Star Wars. Never. I'll never turn to the dark side. You failed, Your Highness. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Now, the reason I feel like I picked Luke Skywalker over Leia is mostly because he probably fits into that that typical hero mold. Um, you know, he has the, he's the main character. He's the main focus of the original uh, trilogy where we watch his story from young, annoying boy to slightly less young, annoying boy that has <laughs> the power of the force. But, <laughs> um, you know, we really see a lot of his growth. Uh, I love the story of Luke in general. Um, you know, his path to becoming the, the pretty much the leader of the Jedi. Uh, you know, there, there are some odd decisions made in the new trilogy and all, but at the same time, I still understood where yeah. he was coming from. He becomes from. an you know, his, old, his annoying man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's the perfect transition, Damon. <laughs> uh -huh. But, you know, he, he's such a... He's such a great character, and I think Mark Hamill really brought a lot to the table there as well. Like, you know, he was very young at the time. He's he still has great acting chops, though, and you really, you know, you really get across that young, annoying boy <laughs> <laughs> that becomes later on a great. Are you sure he's your number three pick? <laughs> yes, he is my number three. Uh, <laughs> I'm just taking pot shots for no reason. Uh, I, I absolutely love uh, Star Wars, and I absolutely love Luke, and I really wish. His fucking lightsaber scene had actually been in the film. All right, and I'll, I'll go home. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about the building of the lightsaber again. Yes. <laughs> you want to explain? So I Christian, talk about Christian's been obsessed with Ray building her lightsaber. Uh, you know, in the new trilogy, like be able to actually see that moment because we don't get that moment except for a deleted scene with Luke. 
And for some reason, he built this up to be this major thing. And then, of course, Rey just shows up with the yellow lightsaber <laughs> at the end <laughs> of Rise of Skywalker, which we argued about, I think, on a couple episodes. We're like, Christian, you're not going to see it. No one no one wants to see that. But, you know, Christian, he, he digs the tech. So <laughs> maybe there's a, there might be a deleted scene, though. Oh, yeah, maybe. But again, it's just a deleted scene. <laughs> All right. I, I'm, so, I'm never gonna. I'm not gonna buy that movie or watch it again. So I don't know. So you're not gonna watch. Oh, I'll watch it again. You know that. I'll fucking put myself through that again. <laughs> Maybe the next a time fucking, a Star Wars movie comes out, but I'm probably not gonna watch it. I'm a. I'm a glutton for punishment. I just sat through all the fucking prequels again. So, yeah. Sure. But that was for my daughter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right, man. All right. Uh, what is your number two? All right, Christian. Well, it's none other than. Luke fucking Skywalker, portrayed by none other than Mark Hamill in Star Wars. And if you didn't know that, you need to just turn off the podcast now. <laughs> All right. I know we've been kind of hard on Luke. <laughs> and this is why, you know, when I was talking about Leia, why I was kind of going back and forth. And I think a lot of it has to do with just, you know, the way his arc ended. Um, but I I understand the arc, you know, just from, you know, mm-hmm. right off the bat, you know. <laughs> I, I, I get it, you know, and it actually does kind of track character-wise for him, um, but it's not necessarily what I wanted to see. Uh, but anyway, there's not a child who was born in the 80s who didn't, at some point, pretend to be fucking Luke Skywalker in the middle of a lightsaber battle with Darth Vader. Um, you know, for me, like, Star Wars in general, but especially Luke, was like a gateway into movies, you know, into cinema. Um, you know, from, you know, a farm boy daydreaming of a different life, you know, to the savior of the entire galaxy, like Luke still felt relatable. Um, like you could one day become that bad motherfucker in black, saving your friends on Jabba's sandbarge. Um, sure. Like it got complicated during the modern trilogy to say the least, um, But that doesn't change the fact that, you know, for a lot of us, Luke, like I said, was that gateway to like this wonderful world of like cinematic fantasy. Absolutely. I feel like he was, you know, you were Luke while watching the films. You know, that that was your fucking portal to the world. I think that's perfectly well said, David. Yeah. And but, you know, and I think that's why we're so passionate about some of the choices, you know, made in that modern trilogy. And it. You know, it's hard to stomach, but like I said, I can understand where they were going, you know, especially mm-hmm. like Ryan Johnson, you know, um, and I, I do to a certain extent, like enjoy like, you know, his final chapter. Um, I just I don't know. I just it's so hard for me to wrap my head around with the fact that, you know, he went into hiding, you know, because it just doesn't feel like the character we were left off with. You know, where once again, Leia's sitting there fucking carrying the flag for the goddamn rebels. So, but yeah, it is what it is. All right. Well, my number two is none other than the Batman. Um, Which version, Christian? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Again, this is kind of like a a split. You know, I I really enjoyed um, Bale. I really enjoyed Keaton. But my favorite will always be Conroy in Mask of the Phantasm. The third director was one Salvatore Valestra. Hmm. Sal's out in company tonight. Don't wait up. 
Meaning I trust that once you're done with him, you'll be seeing her? You think you know everything about me, don't you? I dive at your bottom. I bloody well ought to, sir. Well, you're wrong. Batman is a symbol of justice, a symbol of vengeance, and also a symbol of fear. Um, and he's the greatest detective that ever lived, David. Uh, and that's why I have always fucking loved him. Uh, you know, he's always got a plan for everything. He's always able to find out everything. But what Conroy brings to the table um, as a voice actor, um, he's able to capture both, um, you know, the simplicity of young Bruce in Mask of the Phantasm and then also um, an older, grizzled Batman. Um, and you really, you know, he, he gets that across the page every single time. So much so that uh, it, it's it's so well done and so effortless by him that it almost overshadows the live action performances for me. And that's why I love it so much. You know, these feel like two very, because I don't, I don't know what the last time you saw Mask of the Phantasm was. But, it's um, been a while. You know, when, it's been a while. Um, when you see this, you know, younger story where he's trying to, you know, come to terms what he would, what his parents would want for him. And what he um, should do in that right. And then later you see him, you know, completely the opposite of what he thought he would be. You know, I, I thought, you know, it was very well juxtaposed. And um, the way Conroy is acting between the two characters is very awesome. Very well done. It, for something that's a fucking animated film for kids, you know. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'll argue yeah, that, that that movie is not for kids, but. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's definitely, I feel like it definitely leans more towards an adult audience. I mean, kids definitely True. enjoyed it, and you know, God bless them. But man, I love that fucking movie. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. no, really fucking well done. Um, you know, Bale brings a lot to the table, but uh, you know, as Damon likes to bring up a lot, he was a quitter. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I've got some major issues with these characters, man. <laughs> I need to relax. <laughs> but he did retire and the then- quitter. <laughs> True. Yes. <laughs> that man doesn't fucking retire, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he would rather die. I do I do see that. Yes. Um and I, I just, you know, I've always loved Batman as a character, you know. Um Batman was actually one of my fucking nicknames in high school because I was so into fucking Batman. Oh, really? Time. Yeah. <laughs> did you choose your nickname, Christian? I did not. I actually did not choose the nickname. Okay. <laughs> I think it became because I wore a lot of black. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Fair enough. I was guilty of that too. Yeah, along know. with my cowboy hat. <laughs> <laughs> no, but anyway, I I definitely agree with you with, you know, Conroy's performance. Um he's definitely you know the character too that we got from the animated series is more of a fully formed version of Batman, you know, from, you know, cinematically that we've ever gotten. You know, yes. from like Keaton to Bale. I mean, it's definitely like the more complete portrayal. Um so I it encompasses, you know, what we got from the books. And it, it's it's perfect, you know, tone-wise and everything. And, you know, very much like with Iron Man, when I read the comics, I hear his voice in my head. You know, I don't hear Christian Bale. You know, I don't hear Michael Keaton. <laughs> so I, I fucking hear Kevin Conroy. No, I absolutely agree. that He is Batman forever. <laughs> I see what you did there, Christian. Well played. All right. Yes. Very well played. I'm very clever. Uh, <laughs> That's debatable. All right, it's time. It's not debatable. It's, it's, true. It's, it's, it's time for our number ones, David. Number one. 
All right, so that's right, Christian. Uh, my number one pick is actually was actually your number six pick, I believe. Um, none other than Iron Man Tony Stark, portrayed by Robert Downey Jr. in the Infinity Saga. So I will argue there isn't a better hero's arc in the history of fucking cinema, goddammit. <laughs> I mean, was it 20 movies? Yes, 23. 20, right, the whole Infinity Saga, 23 movies. Um, while there's definitely times during the Infinity Saga, he might have deserved to also be on our villains list. Um, <laughs> watching this arrogant charismatic selfish arms dealer slowly evolved into the hero over the course of 10 years was absolutely fascinating um and just it's so enjoyable um his arc is truly earned even as iron man like he's always battling his nature which is a as a fucking prick like that that's really like if you think about like how those movies start off Tony's a prick, um, you know, and he's still kind of a prick, you know, <laughs> through the entire series. Um, you know, I mean, just look at Ultron and Civil War. Um, he makes a mess out of a lot of things. Uh, but, you know, true to his character, he learns from his mistakes. Um, and at the end, he makes the ultimate sacrifice. And, I mean, he becomes that true hero. I mean, the fact that, you know, the Russo's you know, we're smart enough to like, you know, give him that family at the end and give him like true happiness. And it kind of sets him up for that, you know, that ultimate sacrifice was just, you know, just so beautifully done and just so perfect. Um, it, it just was such a great send off for a character. Uh, I just, I hope, you know, you know, after rewatching it recently, I really hope that they don't end up bringing him back just because I feel like it would kind of undo you know, the beauty of that sacrifice. But, you know, it's Hollywood. It's comic books. So I get it. I'm sure we'll definitely mm. get, like, you know, him in, like, you know, some flashback scene or something like that, which is fine. Um, I just don't want to see some kind of gimmick, you know, something with a stone or something to bring him back or time travel. Just let it be, because it is the perfect ending <laughs> for that character. I feel like it's still inevitable, but I feel like they will at least wait till maybe after an Avengers event or maybe even two Avengers events before they actually see Iron Man on screen again. Well, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is not a young man, so <laughs> they can't wait too long. <laughs> but I could see something where, like, even, like, he comes back, like, in a vision or something, you know? Um, mm. Just to kind of, like, you know, offer some sage advice, maybe, you know, maybe to, like, you know, to uh, Peter something like yeah, that I, you know but that's exactly what i was thinking i don't want to see him suiting up again and you know being on the battlefield 
you know, let, let it let it lie. You know, just just such a great send off. You know, it's a fantastic character. All right. So for my number one, I have Enigo Montoya from Princess Bride, uh, as portrayed by Mandy Patikin, which I believe is how you fucking say his name. Enigo Montoya is a henchman with a heart of gold, uh, driven by one thing and one thing alone, vengeance for his father's murder. Um, his father, you know, Domingo, makes a sword for the six-fingered man, uh, Count Rugen, and Count Rugen doesn't want to pay and fucking kills him <laughs> in front of an 11-year-old child. Of course, that 11-year-old child would then go to train with all the great fencing masters and actually become the first and only grand like wizard of fencing um <laughs> uh, and <laughs> sure <laughs> and then go on exactly it's a it's a made-up fiction yes uh, <laughs> i know another group that has a title of grand wizard and it's not made up or fictional unfortunately so <laughs> um you know uh, Ma- mandy pan Pattenkin, uh brings a ton of heart and passion to this character who's all about vengeance and you know, there's even comedy, and you know, this this entire film is well done in general. But just his character alone, for me, constantly stole the scene. You know, even though he's a side character, he's just constantly stealing the scene whenever he was in the fucking show. Mm-hmm. You know, a perfect job by Mandy in general. Um, uh, for me, you know, this film has a lot of sentimental value just because it was something I used to watch with my dad growing up uh, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of his favorite films, and you know, just like this character and you know his his passion you know for vengeance and you know his storyline you know he clashes with the main character while also moving on forward to uh finally get his vengeance and he just becomes a super likable and lovable character by the end of the film uh, apparently there's some stuff that came out in the recent um 30 year release where there was a, an extended scene where he actually had like a love interest and all this stuff that they didn't put in the actual film. really huh, i can't even picture where that would actually like fit in no absolutely i was like well, wh- where does this go? <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different like route to take that character. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, I, I will always love this character. I will always love this movie in general. Um, I think I even like uh, I tried to show it to kids recently. They they were not interested. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, for me, it's a soft spot. So yeah, hey, fair enough, man. I I think I saw Princess Bride in the theater when it first came out, like maybe like three or four times. Like I love that movie. So I totally get it, you know, and it definitely has like a nostalgia mm. place in my heart also. So, you know, that's it's a it's a solid number one pick. All right, man. So that's going to do it for our top 10 cinematic heroes of all time, um, as decreed by, you know, Christian and Damon. Uh, but, uh, you know, tell us what you think. You know, we want to hear your picks, um, your top 10. 
Um, and then, you know, you know, make sure you tune in next week. We're going to be talking our top 10 cinematic villains of all time. And that's when all the real fun will begin. All right, Damon, it's time to close out the show. Before we go, go ahead and check out DramaCityProductions.com. Uh, you can listen to us there and a bunch of other great podcasts. Uh, you can also find us over at BigHeadMedia.com. Uh, once again, tons of great podcasts along with us. Exactly. And if you're listening to us on your favorite platform, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Make sure it's that five-star review. That's right. That definitely helps a small independent podcast like us keep on going. If you liked any of the news stories we talked about today, you can find them on our social media. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all at, at Amazing Nerd Show. Yes, we are your nerd hub for all the latest news and pop culture. Uh, beyond that, if you're looking to support the show, we have merch, guys. We got t-shirts, mugs, the works, all on TeePublic. And then you can also find us on ProWrestlingTees.com. Go ahead and pick up some nerd swag and maybe even the shirt of your favorite wrestler. All right, David, what are we going to be talking about next week? Uh, we'll have a review of Picard, and we will be counting down our top cinematic villains of all time. All right, well, we'll see you next week. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that's The Amazing Nerd Show. Take these two over to the garage, will you? I want them cleaned up for dinner. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. You can waste time with your friends when your chores are done. Now, come on, get to it.